This week, we're looking to a sustainable electric future. We're meeting the co-founder and CEO of Swedish autonomous electric freight company, Enride. With its fleet of autonomous pods, trucks and trailers, the company's mission is to build a sustainable, safe and efficient shipping network. In 2019, Enride became the world's first company to operate an autonomous electric freight vehicle on public roads. So what does the next leg of the journey look like? Enride's Robert Falk is here to tell us. Plus, later in the programme, if Enride's looking at the long road ahead, Starship Technologies is focusing its innovation on the last mile. How are Starship's friendly-looking little robots revolutionising local delivery and ensuring that their solutions are as good for the planet as they are for business? Well, Starship's co-founder and CTO will join us later to explain. That's all ahead this week on The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. We start today with Enride founder and CEO Robert Falk. Formerly an engineering manager at a certain Swedish truck manufacturer, Falk decided to start Enride back in 2016 after growing somewhat frustrated at the lack of appetite for and slow pace of change regarding sustainable solutions with that business and in other OEMs. Enride has recently launched in both Germany and Benelux in partnership with global appliance leader Electrolux and the world's leading brewer AB InBev, respectively. Enride's expansion into these two transport hubs has very much cemented its presence as a powerful driver for change in Europe. Well, it's a real pleasure to speak with you, Robert. And I know we were just chatting before, you've spoken obviously to colleagues in Monocle as well about this amazing journey that Enride's been on. Tell me a little bit about your own entrepreneurial story, if you like. Were you one of these kids where somebody said, oh, you know, that Robert's a smart guy. He'll be running a company one day. Or did you kind of refine and develop the entrepreneurial side of your toolbox, if you like, as you got a bit older? How, how did you, were you one of those entrepreneurial kids? I'm born and raised in a farm. So for me, working has always been a very natural part of my existence. I mean, working alongside your family as you grow up, it's been a very natural thing. And uh, to survive and build a farm is that's hard work and you have to be good at a lot of things. For me, that was how I was brought up. And my second thing that I was doing when I was grow up was that I was very passionate about technology. Everything that come across as a kid, I took it apart to understand what's inside of them and how it worked. I think that uh, had its like high point when I was eight, nine years. And one morning when my mom came down for breakfast, I had put apart the kitchen table and <laughs> given, I don't think my mom appreciated me that much at the moment. And <laughs> after that, I had to at least stop taking apart the furnitures. Well, it obviously hasn't done you any any harm. And I like that. It's when we have the expression, everything but the kitchen sink. And in your case, it's everything, including the kitchen table, which I, which I think is rather, rather good. Let's talk a little bit more then about what Enride does, actually how, how it works. Tell us a bit about mm. how this has all come together. Six or so years, I, I guess, since this, mm. the, the journey really began. Tell us a bit about what you're trying to do and how you're using autonomous vehicles, cutting edge electric and electrification technology to build a really viable alternative to this big sector, this, this legacy industry that people will, will know about. What actually goes, how do the nuts and bolts come together? What I see in front of me is that we will have a future freight mobility grid and a system that's based on digital, electric, and autonomous technology. 
that's much more like the railroad system than it's with today's way of doing transport. A freight mobility system where you actually involve the whole system and you have installed capacity on between in a certain areas being integrated into one system. That system has the potential to be the best cost competitive way of doing transport, drastically reduce uh, the CO2 emissions for transport. I think that between 90 to 95% of all transport could be electrified if you utilize autonomous for it. On the top of that, you're going to literally rewrite the logic of transport. It's going to be a different cost structure, and you're going to be see that they have the potential to create new setups in cities. You're going to have a new infrastructure for how transport is being done, and more direct transports, and much more better utilization of the system itself. That's going to give and get the society becoming even more prosperous. When mankind started transporting things, it was not on land. It was actually on sea. And that's why all major cities in the beginning was built around rivers and seas and lakes. And then came the transport on land with horses and wagons and still very limited capacities. And then after that come railroad. Railroad rewrote the maps and created a new economy and give us a lot of the wealth that we see today. Then comes steam engines and steamboats and new ways of being transported and then it allows us to travel the world and transport goods from all different parts of the world. Then in the 20th century came the automotives and the diesel-based transport. So what we have in front of us with autonomous electric and electric technology is that we will start to rewrote and rewrite the maps and how we see and create our cities, how we transport goods. We're going to do it with even more prosperity. So now it's just up to us to see decide what kind of society we would like to see. And I think that my grandchildren, if I'm fortunate to have grandchildren, will take it for as very weird that we were actually driving our transport vehicles that people spent their days, their lives, transporting goods, that they were sitting in a lorry on a daily basis, going back and forth. And that's how they spend their lives. A very honorable way of living, but I think it's also that we can utilize that creativity and that hard work in a better fashion in other parts of society. That will fundamentally change the society looks like and how literally the map is being drawn. Well, yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that because some naysayers, whether it comes to electrification, certainly in the freight sector, say, well, you know, you have to understand that there's a whole employment sector, thousands of jobs, millions of jobs around the world that would be lost if we have this kind of automation and this kind of electrification. Are you satisfied? Robert, that there are enough stakeholders, because ultimately it's going to be a question, isn't it, on the governmental level, who are able and willing to step in and help to reskill those people, maybe to help them move and change geographies if they need to? Because I think what you describe is plainly the ideal forward scenario. But of course, it is quite difficult to institute change on that level all at once. Are you are you reassured that there's enough buy-in from governments, even governments like my, my own here in the UK, which struggles to put one foot in front of the other at times. I think that the pros and cons of democracy, I think we underestimate how powerful for democracy the inefficient government is. 
it allows the democracy to assess and see if what's the actual right path forward. Sometimes we make mistakes, but at least we're fortunate enough to have the doubt in what's the right path forward. And that's also how I see my role as entrepreneur is to showcase what the potential future could look like. And just back to what you're saying with your question. Well, I think it's twofolded. One is that we will, and we already hired the first remote truck drivers that will operate the fleet remotely. This will be a better paid. It's a white collar job and it's going to be better paid. It will be allow the truck drivers to go home to their families after work. It will allow them to be in a safe environment. Being truck driver is one of those most hazardous jobs out there. And other part is that it's actually a global shortage. You saw that a few months ago in the UK. You didn't have enough truck drivers to get distributed gasoline throughout the UK. And I think that's a global thing. And that has to do with the market dynamics. So it's not really that we have a lack of drivers. It's that we have a lack of owner operators, people that want to dedicate a life running a truck or two, because it's actually not very good business, because that's how we've been depending on the market to come across. And I think that if you start to rethink and rework, we could be able to create a more lucrative alternative and people don't want to work as truck drivers. That's the bottom line. That's the challenge. And if we just replace the missing part with autonomous, we're still going to be struggling for years to keep up with it. Average age for truck drivers is starting to hit 55 in a lot of the Western societies. We don't hire any younger truck drivers because young people doesn't want to be behind the wheel and driving day in and day out, being on the road. So say having access to the social life that most young people have come to take for granted. So I think there are a lot of factors that actually will drive this. And if there wasn't for us for that, I think that the business case in the US will drive it and the ambition of China will drive it. So I think that the rest of the world needs to also adapt it, whether like it or not, because this technology will allow companies or like countries to be very, very efficient in their economies, just as a railroad allowed UK to be head of everyone else for almost 100 years, the same will go for the autonomous and electric transport system. Yeah, for sure. Well, my, my one other kind of, not negative question, but a thought on this is about electrification. Because I think when it comes to domestic, private, you know, travel, personal locomotion, people have said, it. you know, clearly the electrification of vehicles is amazing. It can transform cities, countries and so on. Mm-hmm. But we have to look at it in a holistic way. And where is the electricity coming from? What's the circularity of the production of the vehicle, including all the component parts and the battery packs and all the rest of it? You must be, I'm sure, Robert, bored by people asking you that question. But how do you address that circularity and this issue about the sustainability in your own production? Because again, presumably, astonishing technology that you wield so elegantly at Enride, it must come at a huge financial cost, but also at a huge technological and raw material cost. How do you set about integrating that into your processes? We need to move away from the simple answers. And we have lived in an era where people have been simplifying things, where we have stupefied things. And I think we reap the consequences of that now. There's no magic bullet for the future. 
there were some pros and cons with how every technology that you choose. And therefore, we need to be have an open debate of what's the best solution for the future. And it will not be one simple answer. But one thing that why I think that electric will have a path in it is that it could provide a very sustainable, a very competitive way forward for the entire economy. And I think that there are no sustainable society without sustainable business. And I think that we need to challenge existing systems that are upholding one financial system and see what we can replace them with. That means that people that are selling electricity based on coal, of course, they're going to say that it's good for you. People that are selling diesel trucks, they will say that diesel trucks is not that bad. People that are selling nuclear will say that, hey, nuclear is not that bad. But I think we as a society just need to holistically look at it and see what is the best solution for a society and then take a long-term decision to implement it and grow that as part of the backbone of the economy. There will be a need for a lot of new solutions. And for me, why I believe so firmly in electric is one, it's a good business case. Two, it allows us to, with the right energy mix, to go sustainable. If you keep diesel, it will most definitely not be sustainable. So I think it's not about that it's perfect. It allows us to do a little bit better. It's just a better solution. That's, for me, the bottom line. And that's a pretty hard line to dispute, Robert, I must say. Let's talk a little bit about looking forward then. What does the growth story, the continuing success of Enride look like? I know you've got some amazing partnerships with some huge global players with whom you work to help them drive emissions down and to really work hard to drive this process and this progression. Is that what it's about? More collaboration, more great partnerships, other innovations? Is it about new markets? I know there's all sorts of exciting developments on the cards perhaps you could talk us through what makes you most excited i think it's for me it's always about pushing the boundaries of technology i believe truly that the best days of mankind are still to come that we through technology can create something better that we have still space to explore that we once again will hit an era of exploration of optimism and that we can create and understand marvelous things that we haven't seen yet and that's something that drives me on a daily basis as well because i'm curious i want to see what the future is like i'm a big trekkie by heart (laughs) and uh, to boldly go when no man has gone before is for me also something i have to strive to i mean when you see one of our pods or the fleet of several pods operating at once i've never seen anything like it before and knowing that you have been part in creating that, there are few things that can compare to it. That's what I want to continue to do, is to create and showcase what the future can hold for society. That was Enride founder and CEO Robert Falk. You can learn more about Enride's mission. Just head to enride.tech. Well, next up on the show, we continue our exploration of innovators in e-mobility and delivery. But we're focusing on last mile provision next. Joining me here in Studio One is Monocle's own Marco Sippi. Where are we heading, Marcus? Or should I more accurately ask, where have you been for us? 
Tom, we are heading to Tallinn. I was there some weeks ago doing reporting on the amazing startup scene that is taking place in the Estonian capital. It's quite an amazing place looking at the amount of innovation taking place over there. And I think a couple of most famous innovations having come from the Estonian capital. First of all, Skype that was created already quite a few years ago. And actually what's interesting is that one of the co-founders of Skype has come up with another business that's been getting a lot of international attention as well. And that is Starship Technology. You may know that business, Tom. Well, yeah, and this is what we're talking about. We've been hearing in the program already about the freight segment, but Starship Technologies is very much focused on that last mile issue, getting out into communities, neighbourhoods. People may be familiar. They have these super cute little robot delivery carts that trundle around and deliver people's groceries. It's a brilliant fix. It's very joined up. It's all about e-mobility and sustainability. It's very clever. And you tracked down Arti uh, to talk to him. What, what were you guys uh, talking about? Well, I, I met Arti Heinler in, uh, in Tallinn. He's indeed a co-founder and now a CTO of that business, Starship Technologies. And we talked about how he came up with the idea of creating this business, how they have designed those robots that combine practicality and also beautiful design. As you mentioned already, these robots are really, they're really cute. They're really nice to see moving slowly, you know, on pedestrian streets and waiting for traffic lights when they're crossing roads. We talked about all that and it turned out that I also asked one of the questions that most journalists ask. I was trying to come up with clever questions, but there is something you always have to ask when you speak to a founder of this kind of a business, which is if anyone ever tries to break those robots or steal them and we'll get answers shortly as starship technology we are automating last mile delivery we are delivering your groceries and food to your doorstep in the, in the suburban areas mostly and uh, i think overall the automation of delivery is not a new idea right that wasn't actually the, the Eureka moment to actually have that service in the first place. Like if you look at like science fiction movies, like you know whatever you know Minority Report or something like that, you don't see the UPS delivery guys or something or DoorDash delivery guys. You have like flying cars and you know things come to you by yourself. Like so, people have that idea. That wasn't the new idea. The new idea for us was that the realization that the delivery, an automated delivery vehicle or robot, does not need to be like as big as a car, or even doesn't need to be like a flying car that it actually could be a small robot that drives on the sidewalk and that's actually much easier to do much lower cost to do and costs are super important because there is no such thing as a luxury delivery service where you could charge like 50 dollars for a delivery it has to be low cost the small size the small energy consumption of the robot due to that was actually a key in in achieving at low cost so the idea sounds really simple, creating small robots that drive on the sidewalk. But actually, what are, the, what are the practicalities and how complicated does it get when you actually try to create something like that? Right. It actually gets very complicated. It's just, I, I would say, you know, we could have also thought that, hey, you know, self-driving cars are coming. You know, let's just use self-driving car technology and, you know, do deliveries using, using these. But the problem was that, and still is, that self-driving cars are still not like in fully production, you know, mode yet. And it looks to be uh, quite some time before actually there's self-driving cars everywhere and millions of, of, the, of them rolling in a cost-effective way. We also had to build a whole autonomous driving technology. So this is overall a deep tech play. This is overall an autonomous driving robot. It's just that it's simpler than a car because it goes on the sidewalk, the speeds are lower. You know, most notably, the safety situation is a lot better than with the self-driving car. Like, I mean, what are the risks, essentially? The risks are just much lower, the safety risks. 
You launched Starship Technologies eight years ago. What have been the biggest milestones ever since? The biggest milestones have been the first time we got the robot driving autonomously by itself. That was in, in, in 2016 or so. Then also at approximately the same time we did our first commercial delivery. That was a big milestone because we were a company building, you know, autonomous driving robots, but then actually used it in, in the real world and have the first customer to actually like open the robot and see this and this sort of the wow moment of actually getting a delivery, not with a person, with a, with a delivery person, but with a, with a robot. That was a big milestone. And then, you know, right now we have, we have completed three and a half million deliveries all in total. And we have a fleet of about 1700 robots. So that achieving that sort of scale is, is also a big milestone. Uh, of course, there is some big milestones also also coming, like, you know, 3.5 million deliveries. Okay, it's a, it's a nice number. It's not a prototype anymore. It's a commercial service that really works, but it's still a small minority of the overall deliveries done in the world. We have a lot of scaling to do. We have, we have the world to take over. What are the next steps then? Tell me where your focus is at the moment. You are present in, in a few countries already. What are the next markets and where do you see the company in about, say, five years' time? Five years time, definitely, I see the company in much, much bigger scale as it is right now. Right now, the situation is essentially that our service really works. It's a commercial service that you can rely on. And people who have access to our service, we've launched in about 30, 40 locations, and a couple of million people have access to our service. People who have access to our service, for them, this robot delivery is completely everyday matter. They see robots all the time on the sidewalk and they know that you can use these robots to get deliveries. But people who do not have access to our service, still a lot of them seem to think that this is science fiction, this will happen in 20 years, you know, this doesn't work. It actually does work. It's actually a fully commercial service that really works. It's not like a gimmick or something like that. And as we get to bigger scale, everybody will get to experience that. Shall we go into your offices where you actually build these robots so we can continue discussion there? Right. I'm happy to, excited to, to show you things. So now we are in the offices and, and I, I see some of the robots are opened. What exactly is happening over here? Uh, we are actually testing robots uh, before we, we ship them, them out in the world. And uh, we are manufacturing the robots ourselves. It's actually quite complicated in terms of hardware. There's loads of different components in the robots. And uh, we are manufacturing testing them. And we develop new hardware for the robots. There's actually lots of things that we need to do in our office. It's actually office full of robots doing something, testing something, blinking lights and so forth. Is it possible for you to try to paint a picture or give us some context or some understanding of how complicated these robots are from inside if you compare them to, say, your average laptop? <laughs> your average laptop is yeah, difficult, difficult to, com to compare. A laptop doesn't really have a lot of moving parts. Our robots obviously do have. The robot has actually hundreds of different parts. There are 10 cameras in the robot. There are you know, modems that we use to connect to the, the mobile internet. There are motors inside the robot. There are six motors in the, inside the robot. There's a battery in the robot. There's a compute unit. There are radars. There are ultrasonic sensors and so forth. And all of them need to be also connected. So there's cables running around. And uh, we are obviously also dealing with issues like, you know, what about the heating or does the inside of the robot get too hot in a hot day or th things like that. There's loads of engineering that goes into the hardware of the robot. Well, Tallinn, for example, where we are, does get rather warm. This summer has been warm. Winters are cold regularly. How do these robots cope in the weather? The, uh, obviously, we are, we are working on, on the thermal management as well. And you know, actually, our first prototype of a robot had a black lid on top of it. That's fine, maybe in this sort of northerly climate as Estonia and then Finland are. 
where we were actually developed and designed the robots, but it's not that good in like a more like Texas, for example, you know, when the sun is more like overhead and, uh, and the robots inside actually got, got really hot. So we switched to a white lead. Our robots right now, they can work actually in snow, they can work in hot days, uh, days and so forth. So we have fi- figured out all of these issues. Then the obvious question, many people, I heard already many people ask this question, how much sabotage do you come across? These robots look quite cute and they're driving all by themselves in the suburbs. Does anything bad happen? <laughs> yeah. Everybody seems to think that these robots get stolen. They actually don't. I don't think we have actually had any single case where a robot has been stolen you know, from the street you know, while, while driving like that. People really accept the robots as part of their neighborhood and they take pride in these robots and they like the robots and they try to help the robots, you know, when they perceive that this robot, you know, needs some help or crossing the street or some, some, something like that. Of course, there are, there are people, people there that, that like to, you know, go and break things, but it doesn't really happen to our robots. It's not really an issue for us. How do these robots deal with traffic lights? They look at traffic lights. They, we, we have 10 cameras in the, in the robot. They look at traffic lights. They observe the traffic light state. You know, is it like, like walk or don't walk? And, and they behave accordingly. Ahti, you were also behind Skype, which is another huge Estonia success story. What does it tell us about Estonia that Starship Technologies was created here and that you are from here? Estonia does have a, a remarkable concentration of successful startups. I think we are doing something right. For me, really, the, I think the question more, more is, you know, why are not all of the other locations in the world exactly like that? You know, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> uh, I think, you know, one thing that, that, that helped, you know, create Skype, I think, was that Skype was created in Estonia. And, you know, the, it was like, uh, you know, Estonia doesn't have a lot of very big business because it's a very it's a small country. Living in Estonia, you don't get the feeling that the world has been complete the world everything has been solved by big companies you tend to more have the attitude that hey you can disrupt big companies and uh, can create something which is better than the already existing services so with skype we took on the telecom world essentially and uh, obviously telecoms are are, are are big companies we didn't have this sort of fear that we will not be successful against these you know very big you know competition you know, we can create something better than them and we were successful. Sometimes I think the, these, these bets also do not pay off, but uh, in this time definitely did. Just finally, Arte, tell me about where you are as a business. I understand there's been a lot of uh, investor interest. Right. We are at the, at the point where we have done three and a half million deliveries and we are operating in many places in the world. We have validated that this works. A lot of people early on seem to have like a skepticism that does this sidewalk delivery really work these robots get stolen you know do people accept robots on the sidewalk and so forth we have solved all of these things we have validated that all of this works this is now about growth and how much investor interest is there how much are people investing we have raised more than 100 million dollars so far and are raising more obviously deliveries are hot space and and specifically there's a lot of delivery companies in the world and people really like getting things delivered but the issue in delivery in last mile delivery is typically the cost or unit economics and companies are really struggling to make unit economics work our robots are the solution we are the lower cost delivery option actually without robotics i do not see a way how to make the last mile delivery industry really make money and really, really, really be a, be a business that is profitable. But with robots, that is the chance.
That was Starship Technologies co-founder and CTO, Artie Hainler. Talking to you, Marcus Sippi. Uh, Marcus, where would you like to see those little guys? Maybe in your and my neighbourhood, Walthamstow, or back home in Helsinki? They'd probably do a pretty good job there. You know, actually, these robots have been seen in Finland already, and I know that in the UK they are at least in Milton Keynes. But I think London would be... I think Walthamstow in East London could be an easy place for these robots to start, because obviously the company is looking for easier places to navigate first. So maybe stay away from central London, go somewhere that's a little bit further out, somewhere a little bit quieter. And I know that where you live, for example, it's got less traffic and it's easier for these robots to move. Um, I'm wondering, do you want to reveal us anything about your takeaway habits? Um, No, but I would love it if one of these little guys brought my pizza or my Chinese food or whatever it might be. Your fish and chips. I think it would run into a lot of buggies. Oh, that's true. wouldn't it? I don't know how it would navigate those obstacles. I wonder if they've been thinking about that in Tallinn at the Technological Centre of Starship Technologies. I'm sure they will. Well, listeners, if you want to find out more about Starship Technologies, head over to starship.xyz. Well, that is it for this electrified episode of The Entrepreneurs. We'll be back at the same time next week. In the meantime, do look out for Eureka, available every Friday. This week, we've some tips for putting your best foot forward in 2023. The Entrepreneurs is produced by Laura Kramer with mixing and editing by Jack Dewars. My thanks to them both as ever. Listen again and find out more about The Entrepreneurs at monocle.com or follow us and catch up with the archive via your preferred podcast platform. To contact The Entrepreneurs team, you can email laura at lrk at monocle.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Monocle magazine for more great stories like this. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs.